0: Good evening. This lecture, Bezalel Hashem, will be theilu nishmat Zava Golda Bat Shoshana and uh, Sophia Sonia Bat Sara and therfuat uh, Shlomo of Ariel Ben Dave, David 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 therfuat Emma Bat Dvora Isaacov theilu nishmat Noor Bat Avraham. איה חננובה ליבה בת נריה רפואה שלמה פוסהרה בת סוסן שושן שושן יעקב בן לא הצלחה פרנסה en שידוך טוב במרה לרפואת יונה בת קסיה נדה Excuse me. And also Lefarnasav Yoshua bin Golda, She duch Elia been Yoshua Yosef. Also She duch Aaron ben Yoshua Yosef. And Refrash Lema Israel ben Leah. And Gavriel Ben Mazal? Yes. Oh, it's the 19 year wrote. 19 year Dov, Pesach is coming. Don't forget this year. We spoke last week that it's different than usual. Those of you who are first born, if you're the first if you're the firstborn, uh, you have to fast on Thursday. Unless you go to the shul Thursday morning, it's men only, and you hear siyum masechet. Almost in every shul, they're going to have a siyum. One of the boys going to finish a masechet. You hear siyum masechet, you can drink lechaim, and you don't have to fast. It's going to be very difficult to fast Usually this year it's not a problem, but usually you, you fast and you go right into Lela there and you drink the first glass of wine on an empty stomach and you faint. That's why it's important to go to the and near Si'um Masechet, which will allow you to eat. And it's only this fast that Sium Masechet allows you to eat, because that's the easiest fast of the year. From all the fast that we have, that's the easiest one, it's only for firstborn. Don't, don't forget, four hours from sunrise, four hours from sunrise, we cannot eat Chametz. Sunrise is around 7 uh, seven 10. Four hours, around 11-ish, 11 ish. 11, 10. You have to look at the calendar. When is the Zman achilat chametz? This year, because it's Shabbat, we have to make sure to finish eating bread in a meal at that time. Meaning, you gotta pick up the the plastic tablecloth, throw all the crumbs of the of pita bread that you made kiddush on and amotzi. Throw it in the shower or in the toilet. Flush it very good. The water rains all the crumbs. The Ashkenazim have it easier. They eat matzah all year. They make a so They can eat matzot, but not uh, after chatzot, We don't eat any more matzot. The Chazal gives an example of someone that eat matzah in erev Pesach like two, three hours before Lela Seder, it tastes from the matzah. It's like someone who takes his gums to the house of his fiance when her father is at home and makes things with her before they are even married. That's how horrible it is to eat matzah before the night. Why? The whole idea is is to have, uh, to have the matzah, which is something new, exciting. Once a year you have this mitzvah, chilat matzah. When you eat the matzot, don't forget in Lela Seder, every time you drink wine and you eat matzah, all the night, you have to lean on the left side. Put yourself a pillow, like you have this chair with a hand. You go like this on the side, or you can turn and lean on the table to the left side. Don't lean to the right side, otherwise the food will go into your air pipe and you choke. You have to lean to the left side like a king. In the old days, the king used to lean on the left side. They had pillows. Everybody was sleeping on the floor, laying on the floor. You know, that's, that's the way it used to be. So he leans like this on big pillows, and they drink wine and all that. So you have to feel like you're a king. Maror, you don't lean on the side. Besides the maror that you put in a sandwich, zaken, since it's, it's surrounded by matzah, then you still lean. Meaning, bottom line, when you eat matzah, you do a seva on the left. When you drink the four glasses of wine, also a seva. Everything else doesn't need a seva. Remember this rule. Women also do a seva. Women have to sit in a seder, not just to be in a kitchen. They have to listen to the story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim. Uh, so, after four hours, you're not allowed... To eat, uh, to eat uh, chametz. After five hours, the chametz, you know, one hour before chatzot, which chatzot now is one or, one or four, one or five, something like that. Midday, midday is around one p.m. So an hour before that, you know, the chametz become Asurbe be anah rabanan. Meaning, if you still have chametz by you, you're not allowed to enjoy it. You cannot sell it anymore to the goy or anything like that. From midday, one o'clock, let's say, it's already forbidden from the Torah. You cannot enjoy the chametz from the Doraita and you can definitely not eat it. So if you're not allowed to eat chametz already from midday, and Passover only start at sunset, which is 7.10 in the evening. Between 1 and 7, you have 6 hours. This is still Erev Pesach. It's not holiday yet. So you see that you're not allowed to eat chametz already from the day before Passover, in midday. So what's the difference? It's written in the Torah that 7 days, you're not allowed to eat chametz. What about that half a day? That's different. If a person eat chametz after 1 p.m., he doesn't get karet for his soul. The soul doesn't get cut permanently from the afterlife yet. So it's a little bit more lenient punishment. Not a little bit, a lot. Because once a person eat chametz from sunset of of uh, Saturday night after 7:10, from that moment on until the entire Week of Pesach, if he eats chametz more than one ounce in one shot, his soul is going to be cut permanently from the afterlife. Karet. That's one of the thirty-six most strict restrictions of the Torah that has the cut of the cut of the soul from the afterlife. Among them, you have chilul Shabbat, breaking Shabbat, idol worshipping healing, hametz and Pesach, a lot of the forbidden relationship, uh, all these horrible crimes that the Torah describes, forbidden relationship, most of them, the majority of the list is forbidden relationship. All these sins that a person does, if the Torah says, it's in order for him to do tshuva, to make repentance, he must receive suffering. a person ate chametz and pesach, or broke Shabbat, or was idol worshiper, or, or, or violated one of the restricted intimacy laws, which the Torah gives karet for it, just like being with his wife, no mikveh, all these things that the Torah says karet. If a person wants to fix it, of course he has to stop. He has to regret, he has to be ashamed, he has to confess when we pray confession after Tfilach Monastre, we have a list of sins that we read. A Yom Kippur has to pass, he cries the entire day and fast. And that's not enough. All of the above still does not erase the sin. It's still pending. He must receive X amount of suffering. How much only Hashem knows? Depend on a person. Some people get a little bit suffering. Some will get a lot of suffering. Depend where they grow up. Depend on their IQ. Depend on many different things. If it's a bachur Shivat that ate chametz in Pesach, knowing it's not allowed, he's gonna receive a lot of suffering. If it's some ignorant Jew who doesn't know anything from his life, he didn't understand the severity of the sin. Even though someone told him, be careful, it's, it's correct, it's a serious crime. Ah, you exaggerate, and he still ate, whatever. So he may get less. Why? Hashem knows who's smart and who's a fool. But overall, he must receive suffering. If you don't receive suffering, he doesn't get erased. So that's why we've got to be very careful. The entire eight days of Pesach, here in America, it's eight days, because we have two days, Yom Tov. In Israel it's seven days. Every place out of Israel you have an extra day which is rabbinical, the rabbanan. So, therefore remember from, from, from around 11 in the morning you have to look at the calendar the exact time. Is you're not allowed to eat chametz. Now, we get rid of the chametz already from Friday. Remember, before Shabbat. But we leave enough for two meals. Friday night, if let's say it's 1%, person, it leaves two pita bread. Pita doesn't make a lot of crumbs. You cut it slowly, you eat, you pick up the plastic, it's like you have no more chamehs. You get rid of it, you flush, finished. If you have a, a roof in your area, which you can carry out from the house, and you have a public big garbage cans in the neighborhood that belongs to the town, you can just dump it there. You pick up the plastic tablecloth and you dump it right in the thing. You don't have to go to there to, the, to flush it. But if you don't have, just flush it, rinse, and that's it. One other thing to do is you can spill uh, bleach on it or Windex on the. if you have some breadcrumbs or stuff, you can ble- it, it destroys it. Once it's not, uh, it cannot be eaten by a dog, it doesn't have any more value of Hamet. Hametz means five kinds of grains, wheat, barley, oats, spelt, and rye. Rice is not chametz. Even though Ashkenazim, they don't eat rice on Pesach, they don't eat beans, they don't eat uh, peanuts, they don't eat a lot of or corn, all the things that they used to pick, cut from the fields in the old days, even today, but in the old days it was more manual. So they used to cut wheat and barley and corn. Sometimes it got mixed. In the big bags of corn, you have also wheat. Or in the wheat, you have corn. It gets mixed. Or beans, or all kinds of other things. It's called kitniot, which is not five kinds of grains, but because it got mixed sometimes with, with hamets with grains, then they did not want to take a risk. Imagine you cook rice. And you have one, one, all you need is one wheat inside, mix. From a million, one. In a huge bag. You put it in, you cook it. Uh, uh, it, It splits, it opens up. After 18 minutes with the water, it becomes chametz. The entire bowl of rice is chametz. You eat now the rice, it's chametz. It was cooked with chametz. That's a big problem. Now you have to know one rule. Usually, whatever is mixed from the Torah, you have to follow the majority. The majority. If you have 60% from this and 40% from that, the name of the mixture is like the 60%. However, the Chachamim, they say that it has to be Batel Beshishim, meaning you cannot have more than 1.6 percent in a mixture. Something that is not kosher. If you have more than 1.6 percent, it makes the entire thing not kosher. Meaning one and a half percent. Let me give you an example. Let's say you have a chulent, big bowl of chulent with meat. Everything is cooked, and your genius little kid played with the milk. And one drop of milk—you saw it in slow motion—flying from the carton of milk, boom, right on the chulent meat, and got mixed with the with the soup. What happened now? You have a hundred-dollar bowl with meat, lots of expensive meat. One drop of milk went inside, and allowed to eat meat and milk mixed. But since this one drop is not 1.6% and up, it's much less, it's not even a tenth of a percent, the entire mixture stayed kosher. But what happens if you spill a whole glass of milk? A whole glass of milk into the chulent. So the chulent, how, how much more chulent do you have compared? Let's say this is a glass of milk. Do you have sixty times like this meat and 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 soup, the dish, sixty times more than this? If you have more than if it's a huge bowl and you have more than sixty times than that, it still stay kosher. But what happens if you only have th- let's say this is a quarter of a liter, let's say, and you have five liters, five liters of meat and soup and potatoes, five liters altogether, like. Uh, To make it easier for you, let's say 10 pounds. 10 pounds, and this is a quarter of a pound. Quarter of a pound. So that's 140th. 140th out of the mixture. 140th out of the mixture is 2.5% and makes the entire thing not kosher. But if the entire dish would be 20 pounds, right? Not 10 pounds, 20 pounds, and this is a quarter of a pound, that's already 180th. That's not, that's one, that's like one, that's already make it Baruch Hashem still kosher. So the idea is, if we don't know, we cannot take the risk. But if we have a huge bowl and just a little bit went in, it makes it still kosher. However, you have to know, everything you cook on Pesach, let's say Sefaradi cooked on Pesach, and he forgot to check the rice. We check the rice before we cook. We go one by one, we go on a table and we make sure nothing is brown or black, we check them very carefully. Some say you have to check three times, some say one time it's enough, but you have to check and you have to check carefully. What's the best thing to check? You take a, a kid that is responsible, smart, you tell him for every black you find, I'll give you a dollar, I don't know, two dollars, whatever he's used to. So he's anxious to find. He's going to check ten times. Why? Because he wants to make ten bucks. Oh, I found one. Okay, two dollars. Another one, four dollars. Like this. He cleans the whole thing very good. And you don't have to worry about it. If you want to check it yourself, even better. Now, what happened if after all you checked or you didn't check, in the middle of Pesach, you see inside, that you cooked it with one chita, one piece of wheat. We have a lot more than 60 times more. You have a thousand times more in a dish. You have more than a thousand pieces of rice compared to one of wheat. In Passover, you don't have this rule, batel beshishim. It's never dismissed. Any amount of chametz in a dish that you cooked on Pesach, on Yom Tov, or you cooked on Cholamoed, the entire eight days of Pesach here in America, everything you mixed, and you cooked in Pesach, if any amount of chametz got mixed with that, you have to destroy the dish. You can't even sell it to a guru. You cannot give it to anyone as a gift. You must destroy it. The entire thing is chametz. But what happens if you made the rice before Pesach? Like now, this week. The wife makes Pesach, and she puts it in the fridge, and she's going to heat it up on the... on, uh, on Sunday, Monday, whatever. And maybe there was one piece of wheat inside. It doesn't make the entire thing hametz. Because before Pesach, is batel beshishim. Once Pesach started, the, the rule batel beshishim doesn't exist. You have to remember this. That's why it's important to make all the food before. Because once you make it on Pesach, and by mistake you didn't see one little piece of wheat or barley or whatever, it makes the entire thing not kosher for Pesach. you got to get rid of it. What are you going to do now? You may left with no food. So that's why it's it's better to do it before. Now what happens if you heat it up on Pesach? That's big argument. If this one wheat that is inside the dish, if it wakes up again on Pesach like brand new, And it makes the entire thing. It's called Choser (laughs) VeNior. It's a big machloket between the poskim. Some say yes, some say no. That's why I said better Bezrat Hashem. Hopefully, to check everything very carefully. Sfaradim have more issues because they eat kitniot. Ashkenazim barely eat nothing besides potatoes. I don't think there's anything else left to, to eat. They don't eat rice. They don't eat beans. They don't eat any of those kitniot. Corn so basically the only main thing they eat is potatoes potatoes you have no problem there's no chametz in it okay so that's very good of course chicken, meat, all these things uh, we buy it it says already le lepesach but what happens if you don't find le pesach? what's not kasher in meat the meat, raw meat you, you rinse it very well it's good, fish, same thing you rinse it very good, filet it's good it's no problem. Water, no problem. It's le lepesach, seltzer. could be used in Pesach. Everything else that have any ingredients in it, added, flavors, I don't know, whatever they add, must be le lepesach. So you cannot take a risk by eating something. and say, ah, there's no five kinds of grains in it. You never know. Sometimes they use vinegar that makes from wheat in mayonnaise in all these things very dangerous. You gotta know. So, Baruch Hashem, we have to know the the haircut. We have to take haircut because after Pesach, the Omer begins, and I allowed to have haircut. I allowed to shave. The Omer, the counting of the Omer starts from the second day of Pesach. This year, it's Monday night. Right? No, Sunday night, sorry. Sunday night, Saturday night is the first Seder. Sunday night is the second Seder, which is the beginning of the second day of Pesach. From the second day of Pesach, meaning Sunday night, after we pray Arvit, that's the beginning of the counting of the Omer. We have to count the Omer. It's mitzvah for men. Women can count also, without bracha. Ashkenazim and Sfaradim have difference here. Sfaradim women do not make brachot on mitzvot that, that relates to time. For instance, if a woman wants to shake rabat aminim in Sukkot, this is the time of it is only in Sukkot. and women is not obligated. The Ashkenazim, they make bracha the women. Al netilat lulav. is not allowed to say bracha. Why? Because once you are not obligated, you don't make bracha. Ashkenazim say, since it's praising Hashem, even though I'm not obligated, but I'm praising Hashem for giving the Jewish nation this mitzvah, for that we make the bracha. One way or the other, you should know that the Sfirat HaOmer, best way to do it is for the women, if they want to count, they say, Ayom, kach ve kach laomer. tomorrow, they had a day, you have once, the one week completed, you have to say, Shem, Shavua, that is one week. Then the second week, third, all together seven weeks, and then Shavuot comes. If you forget, to count the Omer one day, complete day, 24 hours, let, let's say Monday night you count, and Tuesday night you forgot. You forgot. And then Wednesday night came already. The whole day finished. That's it. You cannot count anymore. You miss the whole mitzvah of the 49 days. But if you remember the next day during the day that you did not count last night, you can still count without bracha. For instance, if you forgot Tuesday night to count, Tuesday night, it will be already three days to the Omer. Sunday night, one. Monday night, two. Tuesday night will be three. If Tuesday night you forgot and you remember Wednesday during the day, Wednesday you remember, let's say at 1 p.m., oh, I forgot to count last night. So you say, without bracha, what happened now at night, Wednesday night, it's going to be already the fifth day. You can count with bracha, it's no problem. During the day you don't make brachot, just the night you make bracha. But you don't miss the mitzvah yet. Because the day did not finish yet. But if the whole day finished, you have a cut. It has to be one mitzvah, 49. See, one unit. If you have a cut, it's like a short. That's it. You lost the mitzvah. What happens if you lost the mitzvah? You come to shul, you ask someone to count. And to be mekaven on you. Maybe it will help. Uh, you can still count without bracha, obviously. You can continue to say, Ayom, such and such, but you are not allowed to say brachot anymore. Uh, so you have to have a haircut. Men, women don't cut their hair every month, but for men that needs to have a haircut every three, four weeks, it's very, very bad for men to have long hair. You should know it. Some people don't know how severe it is. Men must have short hair. Not long, not up here, and not long in the back, and not this curly, afro. That's not the way of the Torah. It has to be short hair. The longer the hair it is, the more bad luck you have in life. It brings judgment on the life of a person. So that's why I try to keep it as short as possible. The shorter, the better. So, we have to cut the hair. When? When? Erev Pesach is the last day. This is going to be Friday, before midday, before Chatzot. Because after Chatzot is already the light of Yom Tov already. See, now that we eat Chametz already, they used to do Korbanah Pesach. If we had to Korbanah Pesach, that's when they did it. After they get rid of the Chametz, there's no more Chametz in the house. They prepare the Korban and they prepare it for the night. The Korbanah Pesach. They're busy now with already uh, almost, almost in Yom Tov, almost the exodus of Egypt. And now we remember an hour before Pesach, and he has to have a haircut. You understand? So what happens if he forgot? He will run to a goy, find a goy to cut his hair. Because you don't want to enter Yom Tov with Afro and now go another 33 days without haircut. I remember one time we had a seminar, and we had one chiloni, Israeli, with lots of hair. And, you know, in a, in a Omer you don't, you don't cut hair. Finally, they told him, well, what is this hair? You need to have a haircut. Say, so, yeah, you're right. You agree? Yes, I agree. But now it's the Omer. The rabbi said, run quickly, get Caesar and let's cut his hair off before he changes mind. But it's the Omer. He say, it's an obligation to cut his hair, make him bal tshuva. So they cut his hair in the Omer. Why? It's minag, not to shave, not to cut the hair. It's a custom. It's a good. It's a good thing. Right now, a person has an opportunity to do tshuva, to remove all his afro, which is a big chilul Hashem for a Jewish men to walk like this in the street every second. is chilul Hashem, every second. You understand? I remember one time I saw a guy, supposedly religious, he had afro like this. And his yamaka was so small and it was mamash buried inside the afro. And now one person in on the wall accidentally will see that he has a yamaka. This guy thought he's smart. He pushed the yamaka into his afro with a clip and there's no way to see. Even if you go on top, you can't see it. It's mamash buried. He forgot that the halacha is that you have to see the yamaka from all directions. Yamaka is too small that nobody can see. That's not a yamaka. The meaning of the word yamaka in Hebrew you call it kipa, kipa. In English, which is actually Yiddish, they call it yamaka. What is yamaka? It's actually two words: yare lemalka. Yare lemalka means afraid of the king. The bigger it is, the more it shows that you're afraid of the king. The smaller it is, that means you're not so happy with the king. That tells you to put it on your head. Even the Arabs and the Christians learn from the Jews to put yamaka on the head. The Arabs, many of them put, and the Christian only the Pope put red one. <laughs> red one. Sometimes I find Jews that have red yamaka, all kinds of weird colors. That's not the right way. After have have velvet, black, like all the Haredim. Not the Israeli flag, not the American flag, not parrots on it, and not uh, soccer players. Enough with these gimmicks. Be serious. So, you gotta cut the hair before midday. The table has to be ready before Yom Tov arrives. Set all everything the simanim, the keara, agada for every person next to his uh, toy seat, right? It's very important to prepare it in advance. One advice I can give you, one person has to open all the boxes of the matzah. If you bought Shmura matzah, sometimes they come broken. You have to find for each person three complete ones. If they have cracks in the middle here and there, it's no big deal, as long as it has a round shape. But if it's broken, two halves, or a big piece missing, or a quarter of it is out, it's not complete, you need complete. So, may have one of the boys take all the boxes out. You can put them in Ziploc bag or in, or in the plates, covered with something. For each one of the guests to have three complete matzot. Some people, they eat matza mechona. They buy, you know, the square one. It's made by machine. Even among these, there's two different kinds of kosher matzot. There's one superb and one not so superb. One of them is shmura. It's Even though it's machine, but it's shmura matzah, meaning it was supervised from the minute they cut the wheat until it got into the machine, until it came out, until it was baked, until it was wrapped. It was all supervised by a human being, by a mashgiach. Some of them they are not supervised, not from the cut, not when they move the flour from side to side. It, just, it was just checked that they cut the wheat, they, they grinded it, they put it in the machine, it came out, it was baked, but it was not supervised nonstop from the beginning to the end of the process. So, in a case like that, obviously, the more it was supervised, the better it is. Better to eat Shmura matzah. Not everybody has money for it. We live in, in a world with so much greed that the people that make this matzo they charge sometimes more than $5 for one matzah. That's the prices of them. It's about almost $30 a pound, sometimes more. You have six, six matzahs in a pound. It comes to $5 a matzah. For a family, have 10 boys. Boys and girls, and you know, twelve people in a family plus two, three, four guests, sixteen people. Three matzot, and the first night, second night, right? Three matzot, six, six times. Five thirty dollars a person for both nights, multiply by fifteen people, it comes to four hundred and fifty dollars just the matzot. Very expensive. On top of it, the wine and the meat and things. Not everybody can afford. So those who can afford. Definitely to get this. Those who cannot afford and they buy mechonah, at least try to get the Shmura ones. Cannot afford. It's not Hashem, the machine ones that you buy, at least make sure it's the Badats. Ha'edah charedit, they have badatz. Don't buy, much. some matzot is not kosher for Pesach, it's chametz. What the Ashkenazim eat in the shul during the year, it's not for Pesach, it's for the rest of the year. They eat it on Shabbat. They make a matzah on it for Seder Shlishit. It's not. It's not kosher for Pesach. Sometimes yes, sometimes not. Not every matzah that you see it was made for Pesach, because the Ashkenazim eat matzah in Shabbat in Seder Shlishit. That's why they sell matzot all year round. Mainly a lot of Ashkenazim in the shows they serve matzot. Some of this matzot is not kosher for Pesach. Make no mistake. You have to see that it's a kosher for Passover and has very good Ashgaha. Very good ashgaha, But that's of Jerusalem. You have to see to make sure. Uh, also, you have to wait the ladders. We use the ladders for maror. So we make bracha al achilat maror. One ounce of ladders. And then we put the maror in a sandwich, Zecher leyle zaken. All together, we eat three ounces of ledes. What do we do? We put them in little bags. We weigh them before. We, we check the ledes. You have to be very, very careful with the ledes. The Ashkenazim, they eat rain. It's very spicy. It comes out of your nose. Hopefully you'll make it. But the Sephardim eat ledes. How come lettuce? Lettuce has a little bit sweetness in it. It's supposed to be bitter. The truth is that the bottom of the lettuce has a hard piece. That's very bitter. That's really the maror. The leaves has nothing, nothing bitter about it. I try to take the lowest piece because it's a much bitter. There's no question about it. You feel very bitter. But you got to be very careful, you have to check every leaf separately in the sun, check it, rinse it with a, with, a, with a brush from both sides. First you put it 20 minutes in water with soap, all the worms slide, then you rinse it under uh, floating water and also brush it while you do it. And then you check in the in sun. You don't need magnified glass but you check it in the sun, make sure it does not have worms. The worst thing to do is is to eat maror, which is mitzvah de rabbanan, and the maror will have ten worms, which each one of them is five sins from the Torah. You just made 50 sins from the Torah to make one rabbinical mitzvah. Very foolish. I remember one time, one rabbi in Monsi, over 20 years ago, he gave a speech in Pesach, And he was warning about the letters to check it very carefully. And he said that his father was very careful about it. But one time the father agreed to come to him for Pesach. He was married. And the father was a tzaddik from Jerusalem, from the old days, you know, grew up with Ramon, all these holy people. He he never went to places for Pesach. Usually the tzaddikim always stay at home in Pesach. They don't go to resorts, they don't go to hotels, definitely not to Florida. That's not the way of the Torah. But these people, they usually stay at home and they do the seder at home. One time he agreed to go to his son, and the wife of that son, she tried her best, I guess, but she missed one warm... And he said that he came at about three, three a.m. He heard crying from the room. And he came and he saw his father sitting on the floor on Yom Tov after the Seder. He just went to sleep. And an hour later, he woke up. And he said, "What happened?" He said, "I just had a horrible dream. Somebody came to me in a dream and told me that tonight I had a worm in the ladders." That's what happened. And he said that his father, Mamash was crying non-stop. Why? I come to do one mitzvah from the Rabbanan, I eat one worm, it's five sins from the Torah. Five different verses about the worms, not to eat them. So you got to be very careful. In the old days it used to be gush katif before the, the idiots gave it to the Hamas. They used to be gush katif. they used to bring lettuce fresh, clean from worms, you just rinse it and it's good. I don't know if they have it in the market now, maybe they move to a different place, you got to be very careful to clean the ladders very carefully. Baruch Hashem. In America, there's always new invention. Every year, something new comes on the market. According to how lazy we become. As you know, every year we become lazier. Every year. It's a tradition. The year to this year, we are more lazy than a year ago. And a year ago, we were more lazy than the year before. How do I know it? Based on the inventions in a supermarket. Baruch Hashem, we reach a highest record of laziness. Now they sell in a supermarket. You ready? A box with water and salt. <laughs> that, that's the first time I've seen they had it from before? In Bobak. I guess the laziness in Borough Park is a little bit ahead before Monsi. <laughs> I cannot believe it. They take a box, they put water and salt, they close it, and people probably pay 3 $4 for it. it reminds me how in Israel they take advantage on the Americans when they come to Israel. Oh, the Holy Land! Uh, say, what is this? They show you like a sardine box. You know those sardine box? Sardine can? What's that? This is air from the Holy Land. How much? Twelve dollars. And the Americans, they buy it. (laughs) Air from the Holy Land. Meaning when you come to America, you open it and breathe it. Whatever that means. Stop. Baruch Hashem. Please do me a favor, don't buy salt water, okay? You can put a little salt in a, in, a, in a jar and put some salt. If you cannot do that, you patoo from Pesach. You don't need to do anything anymore. Huh? To carry it from the supermarket, it's much more work than to just put some water in a glass and put some salt in it and dip the celery inside. Ah, <laughs> y'atsilinu. One more difference between Sfaradim and Ashkenazim. Ashkenazim don't wet the matzot at all. They're afraid maybe when you bake it sometimes it falls. Remember, it's a piece, they have a stick and there's a round piece of dough, very thin, and the stick is right in the middle. It's hanging on a stick and they throw it inside to the oven. Sometimes it falls a little bit. It makes like a wave. And what happened? because they went one layer on top of the other, in between, there's some flowers left that was not baked properly. If it was baked, that's it. It cannot become chametz. It bakes already. But what happened if it's regular raw flour that stayed in that fold, in that pocket? It created a pocket. Now you make the matzah wet, and there is a little flour there, and the flour touched the water, and 18 minutes passed, and the matzah became chametz in the middle of Passover. The chance that something like this will happen is probably one to a million. But there is some chance. That's why the Ashkenazim, especially the Hasidim, especially Chabad, are very strict with that. You know, they don't put matzah in a soup, none of these things. Some Sfaradim they make the matzah wet Especially the mechonah, the machine, it's not folded, it's machine, there's nothing folded. But, I also strongly recommend not to make the matzot wet, definitely not the matzah that you eat in uh, Passover night, lela seder. Don't make it wet. You want in cholamu'ed, those who make the matzot wet in cholamu'ed, okay, if they want to do it, they want to do it, especially the old people, they don't have the teeth for it. But in Passover, everything we eat, we have to eat within four minutes. When we lay on the left side, a seva, break the matzot to a few pieces, and eat them quickly in four minutes without talking. As soon as you say, Asher al achilat matzah, you lay on your pillow like this, like a king, and you eat it quickly. Don't put anything on it. You have to feel the taste of the matzot. Wine, better, pure wine, without any grape juice. However, some people, they will knock them out after one glass. So they can mix some wine, some grape juice. If it's hard for them, only wine. If even a little wine is hard for them, and they're going to get dizzy and they can vomit, some people cannot drink any wine. So only grape juice. But even among grape juice, better to buy the grape juice that is not mixed with water. In Monsi, there used to be a, a rabbi who make, Squeeze grape juice, homemade. I bought from him a few years, but then I saw that after one day it gets spoiled. Why the grape juice on the shelf stay for years? You can go now to the supermarket, put a bottle of grape juice on the shelf, come back in 20 years. It's not spoiled. Still fresh. 20 years, literally. The squeezed grape juice that he made at home, it looks the same. Bottle like the canned and fat ones. By the night, seder, the next night, it's already spoiled. You feel that, the, that it's already a little bit spoiled. In one day, definitely for the second seder. And to freeze it, you can't, because it's also a question in al if it was frozen, if you can use it. So what happened? It doesn't even last for a day, so I stopped buying it from him. If at least it would stay for 48 hours, then I don't care, it will get spoiled in Cholam Oed. But the problem is it doesn't actually... You feel that the grape juice becomes spoiled in the fridge, it becomes spoiled. Imagine if you leave it outside. Why? Because it was not pasteurized. All the grape juice in the world is cooked in a factory to 80 degrees Celsius. Once it reaches 80 degrees, 100 degrees is boiling, bubbling. 80 degrees, why 80 and not 100? Because 100 it begins to evaporate. They're going to lose a lot of their wine. It starts to evaporate. So they do it to 80 degrees and they checked in lab in the past that once it gets to 80 degrees, all the germs and all the microscopic things there are all dead. That's why it it will never get spoiled. That's called mevushal. Therefore, every grape juice today, it's mevushal. Every. Wine, some are mevushal, some are not mevushal. Why do you need to cook wine? You don't need to. So why you Because wine, the alcohol reserve it. The alcohol inside makes it not get spoiled, as long as you did not open it. It remains inside and it's like preservative. So why we cook some of the wine, you see mevushal, to save us from the Mechalelei Shabbat and from the goyim. If a non-Jew touched it, shaked it, or a Jew that is not Shomer Shabbat, that is equal like a goy in halacha, if they touch it, it becomes not kosher. You cannot drink from it, you cannot do Kiddush on it, nothing. You have to spill it to the bathroom. Unless if it's cooked. Once it was cooked, it doesn't really have a value of a wine. It's not a superb wine anymore. It's like a soup of grapes. That's what it becomes. Someone like me or you may not see the difference. You drink wine that is cooked in all the kosher restaurants. All the wine they serve, it's cooked. Mevushal. Even in a fancy one. Why? Because the waiters are non-Jewish. Or Jews that are not Shomer Shabbat. So when they spill for you in those fancy restaurants or they open the bottle for you, it automatically becomes not kosher. So the only way to keep it kosher is only to, the owner of the restaurant only allowed to order mevushal wine, cooked. Like this, there's no problem. But if you bring a French person, the French are experts in wine, and some Italians, they will taste the wine immediately, they spit it out. We don't see any difference. You give us this kind of wine, cooked or not cooked, we don't see a difference. The French person, as soon as he tastes that, what's that? They will know right away. So you see there is a difference. We just don't know it. Same thing in whiskey. Now everybody knows the difference. If you drink red label or blue label, some people don't see a difference. For them it's the same thing. The expert right away will know this is a $200 bottle and this is a $30 bottle. They will taste the difference. Some people know, I knew a guy that his his job is to taste wine. He tastes wine and he gives it a a, 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 what do you call Recommendation. How good it is. Based on his recommendation, they sell it in certain places. That's how it goes. What else? Okay. Remember, when you eat the meal, don't stuff yourself with too much food. Passover night, first and second night, is not a night to eat too much. Because from the matzah and the ledes and the haroset and the egg that you eat and all the things that you eat before, you're already full. Don't forget, you have to leave enough room to eat the afikoman in the end of the meal. Before Birkat Hamazon, you need to eat the afikoman that you put on the side. It's half of the middle matzah that you put on the side. You have to eat it. We eat two halves, the half that from the, from the middle matzah, and we add another half just to go according to all the shitot to eat two ounces of matzah. Minimum you can eat is one ounce of matzah, which is 28 grams, which is a little bit more than a round, half a round matzah, a little bit more. It's very difficult. If you stuff yourself with food, you eat lamb, you eat rice, you eat potatoes, you eat a lot of different things, by the time now, the, it's almost 1, 1 a.m., you're about to eat the afikoman, and you, and you have food coming out of your throat. As soon as you see it, you want to vomit. Oh, my God, I can't eat. I'm stuffed. Well, of course, you had lamb, you had meatballs, you had this, you had whatever you ate. Now you're stuffed up to here, and you cannot eat the afikoman, which is a very big problem. Why? Very big. I'm not exaggerating. Because according to some of the big poskim, the actual mitzvah of achilat Matzah of Passover, it's the Afikoman, the final matzah that we eat. And we go to sleep with that taste of it. And if you eat something when you're already stuffed, and you suffer, it does not count like eating. And you did not fulfill the mitzvah. That's why you have to leave room in your stomach for the Afikoman, if Baruch Hashem you have a big stomach and you usually eat non-stop in a meal, big deal. What's another half a You're used to it. But for someone who has a small stomach and as soon as he eats one sandwich, he's stuffed already. He cannot even finish more than one, one and a half slices of pizza. He's stuffed. He can't. There's no room. So if he's going to eat a lot of food, for sure he won't have room for the Afikoman. After the Afikoman, don't drink coffee, don't eat fruits, leave the taste of the Afikoman for the, for the night. If you're very thirsty, you're allowed to drink water. Kids, the main mitzvah of Passover night, if you have kids, especially three and older, that they begin to understand what you're talking to them, it's mitzvah to talk to your children about the exodus of Egypt, and they are the main thing for the night, before the guests, before the adults. That's the mitzvah. So you have to teach the kids, talk to them in their language, explain to them in a language of four years old, six years old, ten years old. Everyone according to his... If your kids are 15, 16, they already got to yeshivot, you can speak to them about Gmarot. About what the Gemara say, Kushiot, It's also Passover uh, relevant cases. You can also learn in Alachot shel Pesach. If you don't have what to say, you can take Alachot and read some of the Alachot of Pesach. Also count. First of all, who say you have to always pay attention to your guests? Your guests. You don't need babysitter. They enjoy the atmosphere. They eat well. They hear what you talk to your kids and they go to sleep, and they have a place to do Le'la Seder. What's the other alternative? That they sit home between four walls and do nothing? So now they come to a family, and they see how the father teaches kids about the Exodus of Egypt. If they suffer, they can read from the agada. There's many agadot with commentaries of the Gaon Mivilna, of uh, many important ones. There's Ravovad Yosef's great agada Ben Yishchai, Almost every famous rabbi has a Haggadah of Pesach. There's a Sterav of Galinsky about the Haggadah. So much, so many. We have a pile like this of books in a table. We can never finish 1% of how much uh, material you have over there. If you don't have Haggadot with commentaries about the exodus of Egypt, there are three chapters in the Torah that describe the story of Egypt and the exodus of Egypt Shmot, Vaera, Bo. Beginning of Exodus, beginning of the second book of Moses, it's Sefer Shmot. First parasha, Shmot. Second parasha, Vaera. Third parasha, uh, Bo. Those three parashot speak about the whole story how Yaakov went to Egypt. With many people, how they became a big nation, how they started the work, and how they came out of Egypt, three chapters. You have plenty of things, just read, read the parashot, read it to your guests, to your children, and that's it. So, let's move on. Baruch Hashem, this Shabbat is Shabbat Then The Shabbat before Pesach, they call it Shabbat Agadol. Some rabbis they give already speeches this week, already preparation for Shabbat Agadol. Knowing now everything goes online in a day or two, let people get the idea, because everyone will hear the official bashar Sternbuch is the biggest posek in the world today, Alacha, and he spoke yesterday about the situation. As you know, tomorrow it's an election in Israel, fifth election. Fourth? What is it? Fourth election. Fourth election in less than two years. Usually every election is four years. One election, four years another one, four years another one. This is the fourth one. It should have been 16 years. Four elections should take 16 years. It's less than two years. Israel came to a situation that Hashem stuck Israel on a situation that there is no solution to anything. No solution with the virus, no solution with the government, no solution with the Arabs, no solution between religious and not religious. Everything got stuck. You know, in a computer, error. You do a download, 50%, boom, error. Now the computer is frozen. You cannot do anything. That's the situation right now in Israel. Everything stuck. My opinion, They won't be able to form a government even now. (laughs) Why? Half of the people in Israel are the enemies of God and some of them are literally Nazis. Racist Nazis. Nazis meaning hating Jews and wishing for their destruction. Sitting in Israel, in the Holy Land hoping for the death of the other Jews. Such as Victor Lieberman Marchimo, which I already said 15 years ago, that is a Russian spy, head of a mafia. Putin is protecting him. He had 15 investigations against him. Millions of dollars coming to him from different banks, from Cyprus, from Europe, from Russia, The biggest investigators in Israel, every case is closed. Nobody knows why. Judges, lawyers, nobody understands. It's some kind of a mysterious order. All his cases disappeared. Why? He works for Putin. Putin is the strongest man in the world. You cannot mess with him. It's not uh, Biden, the clown, that tried to prove that he runs up the stairs and falls three times. You understand? The fact that he failed. I'm not laughing at him. It's the last thing is to laugh at an old man who falls on the stairs. It's actually a thing to laugh at an old man. What we're laughing about is his stupidity. What are you p- trying to be the President of the United States when you don't even remember your name? What are you trying to run like you're 16 years old when you're almost 80? What kind of an 80 years old man in front of cameras try to run the marathon, climbing on the stairs? What are you trying to prove? Just walk slow with a cane. It's not a shame. When you're 80, you walk with a cane. It's not a shame. Enough with the show-off. And he thinks it's some Mr. Big Shot started already a war with Putin, started a war with China. Who knows what's next? Who knows what this fool will bring on us? Shemi Rahem It's unbelievable. So anyway, so in Israel, you have this liberman who actually called to take all the religious people, put them in a... What do you call it? Uh, Wheelbarrel. And throw them to the garbage. To a pile of garbage. Meaning get rid of them. There's nothing that he offers to his voters except one thing. To destroy the Torah. There's nothing. Doesn't talk about Iran. Doesn't talk about the Arabs. Doesn't talk about economy. Used to 15, 10 years ago. Now only one thing. Vote for me that I will destroy the Torah. So Rav Sternbuch spoke, he called him Haman HaRashah. Rav Sternbuch, if I call him, uh, who am I? The biggest posek of the generation, in his speech, in Shamaim, they care. He said, this is officially Haman Harasha." Every generation you have a different Haman. It used to be Ahmedjad. He used to be, uh, uh, you know, Arafat. There's a lot of different ones. Saddam Hussein. Now it's Avigdor Lieberman. Remember, if somebody asks you in 2021 who is Haman, Lieberman. Yes. They killed it. How can They can't kill him. They can't kill him because he's too powerful to kill him. Now nobody can touch him. No, he walks around like a mafia. He parks his car on sidewalks. The police is afraid of him. You don't understand. He runs. He, he's like, remember John Gotti? He used to be here. Nobody would dare to give John Gotti a ticket, you know? Imagine you write tickets and you see John Gotti in a car on a sidewalk. Would you dare to give him a ticket and put by the windshield? For sure you're dead. The next day you die. I remember... Many years ago, I gave a lecture in Great Neck in the house of a Persian man. And uh, he had a nice home. I said to him, you know, Hanukkah Tabayt he was. I said to him, Mazal for the house. He said, no, it's not my house. It's rent. I used to have a much nicer house, but I lost it. So I said, what happened? So said, you didn't hear about my story? I said, No. You say I had a very successful jewelry business in Manhattan. One day, five police with batches hanging on their neck broke into my store in the middle of the day with their batches. Customers, everyone outside, put a sign by the window closed, and they say, put your hands behind your, 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 hand behind your back, you're under arrest for money laundering, trafficking, stole their jewelry. They had a whole list of things. They took me to jail. They took away all my diamonds, everything, millions of dollars merchandise, and put me in jail. And it was all a setup. Later, they were found guilty, these judges. The city of New York corrupted cops. They, the cops robbed him. There was an innocent person. The cops robbed him. They stole all the diamonds. None of it was ever recovered. And he was sitting in jail in the same room with the monster John Gaddy. The head of the mafia that was in jail. So he told me, I was, uh, he said to me, whatever they did to me is one thing, but the biggest nightmare was that I was six months with him in the same room, in the same cell. If you want to imagine hell, that's hell. I cannot sleep. If I snore a little bit, it choke me. Don't sleep before I fall asleep. Clean my shoes, do my bed, and you live with constant fear one accidentally you break into his words or something It can be dead but it's not only you, you're afraid of your family if you get him angry the next day your wife and your children are dead it's people that have no God they kill for nothing for nothing one word you say to them they don't like it you're dead imagine six months to survive with such a monster then Hashem gave him cancer then killed him but the, the poor Persian man his life was already destroyed And they never returned to him the jewelry. The city of New York never paid him back from the stolen merchandise. Never. And he had to start from nothing. So he rented a house. I don't know where he is today. This is talking to you about 20 years ago when I spoke in his house. But this is it. Corrupted cops. There's a lot of corrupted cops. Who, some of the cops used to be criminals themselves when they were young. Instead of going into crime, they push them into become cops. They make, I don't know, 40, 50, 60 thousand a year. After taxes, I don't know how much they have left. And now they have, they come to some drug dealer house, they break in, they go into the room, and they see 200 thousand dollars in cash, like this. And there's nobody there. They're not exactly Rav Kanyevsky, Kanievsky, right? They will not touch uh, a drop of water if it's not his. What do you think they do? They take it, they, they use it. Or the drugs. Uh, cocaine like this, half a million dollar package. They, throw, they sell it to one of the dealers, and that's it, they become rich. Not, of course, not all cops are like that. Some are decent, but it, all you need is 2, percent corrupted cops, <laughs> and you see what's happening today. And by the way, every crime organization have cops working for them. Every crime organization, with no exception to the rule. In Mexico, they own the government, even. Meaning the president has to ask from them permission what to do from the cartels. They chop heads. And I was in Mexico, I drove with my host, we were you know, we were driving. I said to him, I hear a lot of cartel things. Do you feel it here, the Jewish community in Mexico City? He said to me, Not so much, not in these areas. It's in different areas. But one time I drove my boy to Yeshiva, seven something in the morning, in the light, a man is hanging on the light. They hang a person on the light, in front of my eyes. I look at the light, I see somebody hang. Sunrise, you see they hung someone at night there, in the middle. This is Mexico. Yeah. Hard to believe. You understand? So, Here you go. So now they have an election tomorrow. Most likely they won't be able to form a government. Half of the people in Israel are anti-religious. Let's do the math. Every mandate is 50,000 people, approximately. You have 120 seats in the Israeli government, which Equivalent to about 6 million people. But you have 9 million people in Israel. But some of them are children. They're not, they don't have the right to vote. So from 18 and up, approximately 6 million people that can vote. So that's uh, approximately 50,000, maybe 45,000. Get the idea. So, Lieberman... Between seven and eight mandats he gets, his desire is to burn the Torah and all the religious people with it. Literally, he's not not even embarrassed. I want to kill all religious people. That's what he said. So that's eight times 50,000, 400,000 people right there. Almost all of them are Russian Goim from Zerah Amalek that they brought to Israel 20-something years ago. Almost none of his voters are Jewish. Then you have Yair Lapid, another Haman, that all he wants is to destroy the yeshivot and to cut the yeshivot and to send all religious people out of the yeshivot and close whatever he can close, even against Chabadis. That he doesn't want Chabad to put filin on the streets. Mashrach Shagadol, he has 18. 18 times 5, 900,000 people. Right? So what do we have? 400,000, 900,000, 1.3 million enemies of God, haters of God, literally, haters of God and haters of the Torah, 1.3. Then you have merits, 4 to 5, another quarter million, it's already one and a half million, then you have Avodah, 6, 300,000, also enemies of the Torah, million already, literally, enemies of the Torah wants to burn the Torah with flame, with no shame. No shame. Then you have also enemies of the Torah, but not so strict like the other ones, like guns, four, five, another quarter million. Also very secular, also wants to break Shabbat, Kippur. Don't care anything. But they're not so strict like to burn the religious people. Not that bad. But also enemies of the Torah. So right there you have 2.1 million. 2.1 million right there. Then you have Gidon Tsar. Another star pop up from nowhere. Pro-gay, pro-abomination, pro-civil marriage, pro-reform conversion. Also, he he claims Shomer Shabbat. But everything he suggests for the election is against the Torah. They give him approximately six to seven mandates. It's another three to 350,000 people. So right there, you have 2.5 million citizens of Israel, enemies of Hashem. Enemies of Hashem. If Mashiach comes today, all of them goes on fire. Now one of them will survive. 2.5 million. Remember, Israel has... 9 million people, 2 million, 2.2 million are Arabs. They're not, not part of Israel, they're Arabs. They are Palestinians. So you have a little bit less than 7 million Israelis. You have about 6.8 million. 800,000 of them are Russian that are not Jewish. That They admit that when they brought a million people from Russia, only 4% were Jewish. 96% are not Jewish. So it brings down the number of Jews to less than 6 million. But from the 6 million, you have hundreds of thousands that are not Jewish. It's all kinds of Israelis who marry Philippines, who marry Druze, who marry all kinds of Thailandi, and marry Swedish, and German, and French, and British, and Americans that are not Jewish, and they have three, four, five kids that are all goyim. Right there, you can take easy close to a million more people that are not Jewish. Right there. So you have four point something million Jews left. That's really what it is. The rest, most of the people now in Israel, officially, from nine million people, more than four and a half of them are not Jewish. Right now, the majority of the people in Israel are not Jewish. In the Declaration of Independence of Israel, they say we came to form here a Jewish democratic state. Jewish democratic state. To take out the Jewish, nothing is Jewish there, nothing in the government, and the majority of the citizens are not Jewish, and now with the new declaration of the court that everyone who wants to call himself Jewish can just come and say I'm a Jew, that's basically the end of the Jewish part. Democratic, to begin with, is the opposite of Jewish. To begin with, the laws of democracy contradict the laws of the Torah. The Torah says you take the chief rabbis of the generation and they run the show. You don't take every fool from the street and give him rights to decide. Same thing, we are not experts in war. If somebody wants to know what the Air Force should do in a war, I won't decide, he won't decide, he won't decide, he won't decide, she will not decide. Why we won't decide? Because we do not know about bombing and attacking, we, didn't, we don't know the planes, we don't know the bombs. There's nothing to do with us. You want to know what to do with the Air Force? You take pilots that are 30, 40 years in a job. They know the war, they participated, they, they are experts in Air Force. Tanks, take people from tanks. Intelligence, spies, take people from Odin, from intelligence. Food, take a chef. Everything needs an expert. Right now, what's democracy? Take some writer, some lefty gay, writes an article weekly. One day he decides to be a politician. I'm running. He has half a million uh, followers, fans, on his Facebook page. They vote for him. All he needs is 200,000 people. He needs four mandates to be able to qualify. So once you have more than 200,000 votes, you're officially sitting in the Knesset, you and three more people from your party. That's all. Literally, if I wanted tomorrow to be in the Knesset, in two minutes I get elected. Why? On my Facebook pages alone I have more than a quarter million people. We make some propaganda, get some rich people, they give money, put commercials, speaking about what we're going to change. You have half a million voters, and you have ten ten seats in the Knesset. And then your nightmare begins. You have to listen to all these lefties, all these garbage people, haters of Hashem, clowns standing over there all day speaking against the Torah. It's a big nightmare to be a politician. People think, "Ah, he's getting a salary for the rest of his life, he's going to get all kinds of benefits. Believe me, it's the last thing a religious person wants to do, to sit with his clowns and listen to them all day. So anyway, as you can see, because you have only, only 15 seats are religious, between Sfaradim and Ashkenazim, Shas get 8, Degel, Aguda get 7, 15 to 16... 15 to 16, let's say 16. 16, it's 800,000 people religious are represented in the Knesset by 16 seats from 120. Then you have Smotrich. Smotrich is a great guy, decent and a great fighter. is a Zionist religious Israeli. Dati that's the name of his organization. He fought very much even for Haredim, for ultra-Orthodox, even though he's not ultra-Orthodox, he's Dati-Leumi, what we call kipasruga. sruga Yamaka. The Yamaka shows where you come from. If you have a black velvet Yamaka, you consider Haredi. If you have a knitted Yamaka, you are Dati-Leumi, or they call it Kipasruga. sruga If you have a leather yamaka, red yamaka, pink yamaka, you're conservative or reform or very, very modern Orthodox. You can see, you can label people by their yamaka, it shows where they come from. Same thing on Shabbat. Hasidim, they wear the fair hat, the shtrimel. So you know, Chabad, for instance, they don't wear shtrimel. Even though the Hasidim, they don't wear shtrimel. But the rest of the Hasidim, they wear shtrimel on Shabbos or on Yom Tov or when they get married a special occasion, it's like a special uh, sign of happiness, and they wear the, the shtrayimel. So the, 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 what you put on your head shows where you come from. The Hasidim of Gur, they have a very high shtrayimel, double on the height, very high. Like right away, you can tell. Also, you can tell by the color of the socks. Some have white socks, some have black socks. You know, or, or zebra, for instance. is Breslev. Mea Shaarim. They have zebra with lines. So, so everyone has some kind of a symbol where they come from. Chabad, for instance, they put their hat all the way down. It's smashed. And they bring it all the way up, almost to the nose. That's how, and they have very long beards, of course. So you know, that's Chabadnik. So you can label people by the way they present themselves. Sometimes people say to you, oh, why are you labeling me? I'm not labeling you, you labeled yourself. If you put red yamaka, you labeled yourself. That's who you identified with. If you put a velvet yamaka, this is who you identified with. So this guy, Smotridge, is, first of all, he's a lover of Hashem. He learns Torah every day, he keeps mitzvot. He's very good in many, many ways. The problem that we have the Charedim is with the ideology of the Zionist Jews. They admire the most wicked people that lived Herzl, Ben Gurion, all these communist, anti God people. For whatever reason, they look at them as heroes. I don't understand. Where is the logic here? So they call themselves Tsioini. As soon as you say the word Tsioini, no Satmer will ever look at you. No Hasid, other Hasidim will not look at you. And most other Haredim will not look at you. Why? Because you automatically label yourself as a Zionist. Zionist means enemies of God. Zionist means a communist. Communism means no God. When they came to Israel, they made kibbutz, mushavim. They brought the Russian ideology and the Polish communist ideology into Israel. They brought all the Russian songs. They got rid of the Russian. They made Hebrew words to the song. They made the Istadrut, which is just like in Russia, that you have to to be a member with a red card. And if you don't have a red card, you cannot get a job. You have to join the union. 100% communism. Israel started as a communist place. Because all these Zionist leaders which were all secular, all wicked people, with no exception to the rule, Kulam Reshaim Gmurim, all of them Apikorsim, all of them Itrefot, all of them Khalele shabbat. So they came to Israel and they wanted to turn Israel into Russia. People with Bloriot, of course, no Kipot, no Yeshivot. They made kibbutzim, you work on Shabbat, Shabbat is a regular day. In Pesach they eat bread, some eat matzah, and bread at the same table. That's how they wanted to make Israel. But their plan did not succeed. Later a lot of temanim came, and the Moroccans, and a lot of religious Jews started to come to Israel. They tried to prevent it, but they could not prevent it. And then you have a million ba'alei tshuva, so now you have in Israel... About two million people that either religious or relates to religion. The father was religious. The grandfather. That's why Israel is stuck now. You have all the Goim and the Arabs and all the gays and all the communists and all the haters of Torah. That's half of Israel. And then you have all the religious people, all the Zionist religions and all the traditional Jews. My doesn't mean traditional Jew, completely secular. Mechalel Shabbat, eat kosher meat, uh, whatever you can think of. But he loves Hashem. He loves Torah. He see Torah, he comes and kisses the Torah. He has mezuzah, he kiss the mezuzah. Uh, I just uh, saw one of them now in Main Street. Complete chiloni. Kvodarav, give me bracha. You give him bracha, you should have a kosher wife. You should, uh, as I ask him, you married? He said, no, he said, you have a kosher wife, chasida, anuga. I give him bracha like I give to an ultra-orthodox person. And what does he say? Amen, with such excitement. Why? I wish I want to be religious. I'm not. But at least I'm not anti. So if you take the religious, and those who are traditional, all together, half of Israel, usually religion and this, it goes to the right. And then those who hate the Torah with the gays and all the enemies of Israel go to the left. And that's why Israel is stuck. Another election and another... It can go anywhere. Even if you form a government, it falls after a few months. Because the partners that you take are very different ideology than you. Every vote, big fight. Until I can't stand you anymore and the government falls apart. This is what's going on. In my opinion, they will never be able to form any more a government in Israel. Because the difference between the people who follow Hashem or those who love Hashem to those who hate Hashem and the Torah is so different. The difference became so huge that there is nothing to talk about partnership in the future. There's nothing. There's no, not, we don't have any common ground. Similar to what happened with the Republican and the Democrats. 40, 30 years ago, there was not that much of a difference between Democrats and Republicans. There was, in God we trust, people spoke about religion, about, uh, about honoring God. Even on, a, on a money, they, they wrote, in God we trust. It was not like today. The Democrats today became so evil that they are the monsters who fight God. Abortions, gay marriage, three parents or uh, bathroom for everyone, all kinds of shtuyot, changing your identity, making surgeries. You know, they. Uh, someone sent me today a little uh, joke, a picture. A Five years old comes to his father. Abba, can I drive your car? No, you're only five. Abba, can I do this? No, you're five. Abba, can I... Uh, can I shoot your gun? No, you five. Abba, can I do this? No, you five. Abba, can I change my sex? Yeah, sure. <laughs> so he said to me, put it on Facebook, and Facebook removed it. So I said to myself, look at this hypocrisy. They created such a rotten world. They adopted the Sodom and Gomorrah laws to every house in America and the rest of the world. They destroyed the world. And now when someone puts such a flyer, they remove it. You fools, you are the one who pushed this agenda to every house in America. You are the one who came out with these Sodom laws. And now you're taking it out? Why? It's unbelievable what's happening here. The army in Israel, lots of the soldiers in the army are not Jewish. Many. You have Druzeim, you have some Bedouin, and you have tons of Russian Goim. Tons of Russian Goim. From the Jews, at least half of the soldiers are lefty liberals. Gays, anti religion, anti Torah, they want all the way to the left. So the army, the majority of the army is also enemies of God. Don't expect the army to be righty. So anywhere you go today in Israel, the majority over there, the leftists control everything. But you know what? In Israel you need to control only one thing. That's it. Once you have that, you have everything. Supreme Court. Supreme Court are lefties. You see, every one of the rulings is against the Torah. That's it. The rest is all puppets. BBDs, governments, hakol shtuyot. In the end, the ones who run Israel and make all the rules are the Supreme Court and they're all enemies of God there. Always. They are pro everything that Hashem hates. Everything that Hashem hates, they fight to push it by force. That's why we're living in such a horrible days now. In one end, Hashem really helped us. Israel uh, is the first country coming out of Corona now. You know, it used to be 1.1, now it went to 0.6. Meaning, it's not as contagious as it was. 50% less contagious now. There was more than a thousand people in bad critical condition in hospital, and I went down to about 400. The numbers of sick people in Israel went down by more than half. And almost nobody dies. It used to be hundred people a day. Now, few, much few, less than ten, dying per day. And we don't even know for sure if it's in Corona or not. But almost nobody dies. In Brazil, every day more than a thousand people die. Every day, from the beginning of Corona until now. I spoke, I gave a live broadcast to Brazil a few days ago on Zoom. They told me that it's a nightmare here. In São Paulo, everywhere you go, nightmare. They don't know what to do. The government lost control. In Europe, in some countries, they lost control. There's a big, uh, big problem in some countries. They don't know what to do. But Israel, Hashem, had mercy on us. He gave, in the mind of the head of Pfizer... He was convinced by Netanyahu, called him 30 times. One time he called him at 3 a.m. Until he convinced him to give Israel the vaccines as the first country in the world. Thanks to that, they're opening everything now. Schools, restaurants, they opened the airport again, they're opening stadiums. Imagine now, if Israel did not get the vaccine, by now we would have probably 500 people dying every day. That's what would happen. Because you know how it is. It's a snowball. More and more people and more people and now there's mutation. Who knows what would happen. But the anti-vaccine people continue to make a lot of noise. Continue. They'll never admit. The whole world will die. Israel will stay safe and they'll still complain. Why? They have to be right. It's all about ego. Why can't you just say, you know what, I was very worried about uh, vaccines, but Baruch Hashem, it worked out. Why? What's the problem? What's the problem to put your nose down and admit I was wrong? It actually worked. Oh, so you worry maybe in 10 years something will happen. So I want to tell you, there's medical articles that if after two weeks nothing happened, the chance that something will happen is less than tenth of a percent record of all the medicines in history if an NMF, if a medicine does not have side effects within two weeks usually it's safe for life almost never have something happen one time there was a medicine that worked for 10 years with no problem and then the chinese that manufactured it modified it and it started to create problems but for 10 years there was nothing nobody had anything all of a sudden the chinese made a batch will cause people some problems. But that's, not, uh, that's nothing to do with the actual medicine. Everyone who would put poison in something, he'll kill everyone. So, Baruch Hashem, Hashem had mercy on us. Hopefully, we have a future. Hopefully, it's no guarantee. Maybe we will be able to come out and revive the economy and save Israel from bankruptcy. If Israel will go bankrupt, imagine what happened in Greece, in Spain, in some countries, they went bankrupt. Argentina, people do not have money to buy a loaf of bread. In Israel, now, as it is right now, there is more than million unemployed people. There are so many poor people, now I spoke about it a week ago in Brooklyn, that they made an article video in Israel that it's the highest it's ever been that people coming to steal basic food from supermarket, bread, diapers, people stealing bread. Bread in Israel costs a dollar. A dollar. If a person steals bread and hides it in his baby's carriage, what does it show you? That if he doesn't steal the bread, he'll starve to death. It's not regular thieves. People that I remember in 2008, the, someone from Tom Heshav told me, I remember the crash in 2008, he told me, do you know what kind of people coming to take boxes from us for Shabbos, With the $20,000 watches and Alexis and, and a $500 suit and a $100 tie and $300 shoes. And they come to take a box for food for Shabbat. 2008, in the crisis that we're here. You have on you, on your body, $25,000 on your outfit and your jewelry. And you don't have two three hundred dollars to do Shabbat. What? Oh, what? Do you understand the idea here or not? Same thing now in Israel. People used to work, this, high tech. They are already unemployed for ten months. And it created a big, big problem. Anyway, Rabbi T'ai, the Gemara says, The salvation is most likely will be in Nisan. Most likely if we'll be lucky, and finally maybe Mashiach would come, and we finally see the salvation, to be honest with you, I don't know if to be happy about it, or to cry over it. It's definitely mixed feelings. It's mixed feelings. Why it's mixed feelings? I'll tell you why. Because one time a secular guy asked me, Rabbi, when the Mashiach will come already, he told me, I say to him, why do you want Mashiach to come? He said, I oh, will get rid of these Arabs, they're blowing us up every day, this used to be when the Arabs used to blow up buses almost every day in Israel, 20 there, 15 died there, 7 dies, every day, boom, a bus goes, I don't know if you remember these days, it was close to 20 years ago, Every few hours, boom, bus explode with people inside. Remember these days or no? Nightmare. Probably the hardest day ever. So this Khiloni came to me and said, Rabbi, mashiach, we get rid of this terrorist. I said to him, if I would be you, I would retail him that the Mashiach will not come. It took him a second or two to understand what I told him that he won't come? I say, yes. So why? We're all waiting for him to come, no? I say, if you would see what the Torah says about what will happen to people that are Mechaleli Shabbat when Mashiach comes. believe me, you won't want him to come. They think, ah, Mashiach's gonna come, we're all gonna come with flags. Welcome to Israel. Wow, we waited for you 2,000 years. People live in a dream. You don't read the Torah, I don't get it. You don't read the Tanakh. You don't read the prophecies. You don't read the Gemara. You don't read all the mefarshim, the Zohar. You're not shaking. There was one rabbi in the middle of Shiyur in Israel, before Israel became a state. In the middle of Shiyur, Gemara, he fell from the chair and fainted. They woke him up and he said, where is he? Where is he? So where is who? The Mashiach. Where is he? We're waiting for him 2,000 years. He's not here. But I heard. I heard the Shofar. Apparently what happened is they started the train in Israel for the first time. You know that the trains have such horn that when they (laughs) blow it, it's like so loud. And remember, someone who never heard, he doesn't know what it is, it sounds like the shofar of Mashiach that goes all over the world. It's very serious. Soon as he heard it, he fainted. So they told him, "Okay, Rabbi, you thought it's the Mashiach, it's the train. They ran the train here for the first time ever. But why did you faint? You should have run happy to the street to look for him. He said, how can I show my face? when Mashiach came. He was a very holy man. The holier you are, the more you understand how far you are from the truth. The dumber you are, the more you live in illusion. Wow, where is Mashiach? Where, where? What do you mean where? As soon as he's going to come and look at your face, it will be the end of you. Just from the shame you'll die. Forget about the punishments that is waiting for you for being Mechalel Shabbat. What are you going to do? You're going to come with your, with your earring over here and here? and in your tongue, and your ponytail, and gel, and your ripped jeans, and your stomach outside. <laughs> where is he? He's going to look at you, and he'll ask, ask you, where you came from? Who are you? From what species you are? <laughs> you won't even believe you're you're going. Because the goyim in the time of Eliyahu Navi, they didn't look like this, with ripped jeans and earring in a tongue. And in their eyes. They had a little bit more, uh, you know, they were more presentable back then. So when he looks at you, he'll ask you, who, you, who are you? Wow, you speak Hebrew? The Mashiach would ask, Hashem, you sure you send me to the right planet? <laughs> Maybe it's a different word. Imagine if you would walk in Tel Aviv and see how the women dress over there. Let's hope he doesn't come in the summer. Let me tell you that. (laughs) That would be such a shame. Do you know what shame we're going to have? Do you know what shame we're going to have? Forget about the secular. Forget. I'm talking the ultra-orthodox. When he will come, let's say it will be a Vishnitz Hasid. The Satmer people will go crazy. is that one of us? Let's see, it will be Bobov. Bobov now has two halves. It will be this Bobov or that Bobov. You know what's gonna happen over there? Imagine it's from the other synagogue. All the other ones will go crazy. Ma cannot be! It's not kosher mashiach, it's fake. <laughs> fake! That's the Illuminati, the Illuminati they send him. No, it's not the Mashiach of Hashem, it's Illuminati, it's a new world order. They're fooling you. Check if he's Jewish. If it will be Chabad, but it won't be Rav Shneorson, we're gonna create a lot of fights. Hey, come on, you fooled us. It wasn't him. Don't worry, but it's one of us, it's Chabad. No, he's going against the Rebbe. Kill him. Shame on you. You claim you Mashiach. The Rebbe is the Mashiach. Hashem send me, I'm sorry. No, no, go back to Hashem. If we will be Sfaradi, imagine all the Litaim will sit and say, oh, well, is it Frank? Oh, what are we going to do? Well, they won't have to dance or to cry. Imagine Moroccan guy. Hey, Reb Schwartz, come here. Kim do? I'm the Meshiyah. Go make me a cup of tea. Go make me a cup of tea, Rabbi, Rabbi. <laughs> Whatever. Just to understand what's going to happen over here. So I don't know if to laugh or to cry. Huh? What, we, what can we do to be on the good side? I'll tell you. This I can tell you. Not from me, from the Torah. First, you have to, to be balmidos, Humble, down to earth. Not disqualifying people because of their nationality or the group they came from. You judge people, righteous or wicked. Doesn't matter what they are. Moroccan, Persian, Hungarian, German, who cares? Tzaddik or Rasha? Rasha, get out of my side, I want to stand next to you. Tzaddik, come, let me hug and kiss you. That's it. Rav Galinsky, he was 100% Ashkenazi. Galinsky. In the war, they escaped from Siberia to Uzbekistan. Uzbekistan. He was fighting for his life. Fugitive. And he has a lot of goyim. And you know, everyone wears barret hats. And a lot of people, even Muslims, they have beards. And especially when he's not such an expert in Sfaradim, he doesn't know who's a Jew here now. Where will I go now? I need a Jew to take me to his house. I'm chasing him. Brings it in his book. So he came to one Bukharian And the Bukharians saw a Jew with Perot. Right away, the Bukharians started to speak to him. They did not know the language. He speaks Yiddish. He speaks Russian and Bukharian. Now one word, they can speak to each other, but they became brothers. Took him to his home, gave him kosher food. Thanks to him, one of the biggest Darjanim of the generation came out this Bukhari who hid him and took care of him. He had a place to stay on Shabbat. What was connecting between them? the Torah? And it doesn't matter you're Jew from here, you're Jew from there in the end. we all have the same thing. We all. We all came from the same father and mother, Avram and Sarah. So first of all, no racism. not disqualifying people because where they came from, what nationality or what language they speak. That's a beginning. Bal dot. Yerishamaim and has the right ideology, the right Hashkafa. That's a very big problem today. Today a lot of people that are calling themselves religious, they're religious according to the University of Manhattan, not according to the Torah of Hashem. It's a big difference. What Hashem hates, they love. What Hashem love, they hate. That's why very big number of the graduates of those universities, who did they hate the most in America? The holiest people who ever lived in America. Rav Avigdor Miller. And the second one, who? Rav Bravda. The two holiest people, biggest Sadiqim, big talmideh chachamim, perfect Jews, perfect according to the way Hashem wrote, they were allergic to them. They could not hear their musar. They fought them. Why? Because they were 100% accurate and they started modern and conservative and all these new inventions. Ah, You don't have to be so strict. You can cut here. You can cut there. (sighs) This is it, Rabotai. I want to tell you, if you want to become modern, you can just come and say, I'm weak. I'm, I don't have the strength. I'm a loser. I'm not religious enough. I know where the truth is. I'm going to keep 60% of it. Better than nothing. I don't have any complaints to you. I understand you have desire, you're weak. Hopefully you come to learn more Torah and Musar. You, maybe you reach 80%. From 60 to 80, hopefully. But at least you're honest. That's one kind of a a person that is modern. Then you have the other kind. He already decides how he wants to live his life. And half of the things he does is against Hashem, against Shulchan Aruch, against the Rambam, against the Gemara, against the Zohar, against the Chumash, against everything. So how will I justify my way? I will modify the religion. No more like this. And no more like that. And no more strictly like that. And no more modesty like that. And no more kashrut like that. And no more yeshivot like that and more modern and modern ideas until you become conservative, and then you become reform, and then you marry men with men, and women with dogs. It did not happen overnight. It's a process of 40, 50 years. You begin to cut. This, ah, this, ah, this, ah, this, ah. After 40 years, what's left? You look at him. You're not sure what he is you're religious? One woman sent me today a message and then she called on the phone from California. She told me I am a very educated person. She went to the best universities and all that. She said to me I am one of the few people that you mentioned in your lecture that got the highest education secular studies And stayed totally, totally religious. Now one shortcut, nothing, I promise you. I know what you're talking about. I see everyone else. They all became shemirachim. But I stayed extreme religious. For one reason. I almost died. I had such a life incident that I was 99% dead already. And Hashem saved me against all odds and I decided I'm going to reach the highest level the highest level of orthodoxy. And now she's going to write a book. She called to ask if to publish her book anonymously or to write her name. That was her question. No, what do you think is better? To write your name on a book or not? Depend. If you want many people to read your book, and you are someone famous, meaning you already have fans, 50,000, 100,000, 200,000, knows who you are. It's some kind of a figure. If you don't put your name, 20 people will buy your book, if you're lucky. Nobody knows who it is. Well, no name, no nothing. How do they know what to expect? If they see somebody famous uh, wrote it, immediately out of curiosity they will read. So you will reach your goal. At least few thousand people will read your book. If you're someone that no one knows anyway, then you might as well write it without your name. Because your name doesn't go to add anything to the publicity of the book. So at least now you don't have your ego. Nobody comes to compliment you for the book. The pen. Everything needs to, cal- to be calculated. The idea is, I'm, I'm looking for honor. No, I want many people to read the book that it should influence them. So if, by not writing the name, only 50 people will buy it, and by writing the name, 5,000 will buy it, there's no question here. You want people to read the book. Otherwise, don't write it. You want to be humbled. It's beautiful. But sometimes humility in a case like this will cause nobody to to read the book. So what did you even waste your ear to write, proofs, printing? It's a lot of headache to print a book. So one more thing to do is you gotta be connected to Torah daily. Tfiloh, Torah, Modesty, the way you dress. By the way you dress, it affects your inside. If you dress secular, you behave secular. Yes, you're religious, you Shomer Shabbat, but you behave secular. You listen to secular songs, you watch secular things on YouTube, you watch, you read all these horrible magazines. Why? Because you dress secular, you have no shame. Nobody expects from me, look at me, I'm wearing jeans. If you dress like Haredi, you will be embarrassed to hold a secular newspaper, New York Times, or Israeli newspaper. You'll be you embarrassed because you know everyone will look at you. What kind of a faker you are? So the clothes is the best policeman. It's like a gun aiming to your head. When the gun is aiming to your head, you're gonna be much better religious Jews than when there's no gun. When there's no gun, you can do whatever you want. Nothing will happen. But when there's a gun, and he says, as soon as you mess up, I'm shooting you, you are 100% more careful. Why? You don't want to get a bullet. The clothes is a wonderful security. Not to make scenes. The way you dress prevents you from going to secular places. For instance, if you look Hasidish, you're embarrassed to walk on Shabbos by the beach of Miami Beach. Because it's such a Chilul Hashem. So they ask you, why don't you come? Let's take a walk by the beach. What do you mean, let's walk by the beach? It's better to die than to walk by the beach with naked people there. You're allowed to walk there? But forget about you destroy your soul. What about the Chilul Hashem? That 10,000 naked people look at you with your strimal walking by the beach of Miami or Bahamas or Aruba. But some people do it. They don't have, they have no brains you want to make scenes, why do you make sure to make Chilul Hashem in front of thousands of people? There's no way to fix such thing. If you make one scene and only you and Hashem knows, you can do Tshuva and fix it. But when you walk in front of 10,000 naked people, as they hate religious people as it is, you just gave them fuel for another five years to stay secular. Because they cannot stand religious fake hills. And I said, look, this is the religious people that give us Musa? They tell us how to behave? They're much worse than us. One time a person told me, I, I'll be honest with you, I, uh, I started to become religious from your lecture, but now I stopped. I don't want anything to do with that. So I asked him why. He say every day I hear, this rabbi did this, this rabbi did that, this Hasid did that, this Rosh Hashiva did this, this religious woman did that. I don't want anything to do with the religious people. I don't want to belong to such group. You pretend you are one thing and then you are the total opposite. I don't want anything to do with you. So I say to you, I don't understand. Where does the Torah say you have to be like him or like him or like her? The Torah said those are the rules and that's what you have to do. If they do not do it, you do it. What are you looking for excuses? But then he gave me an answer that left me speechless. He said to me, of course, of course, I'm not such a fool. I know everybody is judged based on what he does. I'm not going to be able to use this as an excuse. But I'm questioning the truth you're teaching. I'm not so convinced anymore it's the truth. Because you've been screaming for 20 years that when you become a Talmid Yeshiva, you are a much better human being. It kills your Yetzirah, it kills your desires, you don't want to steal, you don't want to make sins with the women, you don't want to sleep until late, you don't want to do these things. And if I see that people that are Talmidei Shiva, they behave like this, and people that are call themselves Rabbis, or Hasidish, or Satmer, or Vishnitz, or Litvish, or I don't know what, or Shas, they behave like that. That means what you teach is a lie. Because the Torah never made them better. If this guy with the beard still, and this guy with the beard goes to horrible places that he's not supposed to, and this modern one is uh, like, a, like walking like a, like a peacock, you know, with its show off. And the religious, uh, some of the rabbis live like kings with mansions and vacation homes and servants and business class. I don't want anything to do with this kind of Judaism. And it's all fake. Because what makes me think that I'm going to learn now 20 years Torah like this rabbi and I will be any better than him. You understand the problem? That's called Chilul HaShem. That's why Chilul HaShem has no repentance. Until you die. You're going to suffer in Auschwitz 60 years. The Nazis will step on your head from morning to night. Torture you. Burn you. Punch you. Torture you uh, non-stop. 60 years. Does not erase one walk by the beach of Miami. With your stride he can now, erase it. Sixty years in Auschwitz, no exaggeration. That's Rambam Eforash. Check in Rambam, Milchot Shuva. No way to repent for Chilul Hashem until the day of death. It's still pending in your file. One Chilul Hashem. One. There's not a day that they don't show on candy camera. Religious people do this, do that, on the media in Israel then you wonder why they hate the religion so much. (laughs) That's one opinion. One opinion is that if you did a lot of Chilul Hashem, you've got to do a lot of Kiddush Kiddush Hashem. Doing Kiruv is saving souls. And what Hashem loves the most. But you have to remember one thing. Kidu Hashem is different. Kiddush Hashem means that you behave in a specific way in your everyday life, that everyone around you come to the conclusion thanks to the religion this person is such an angel. You run to help, you volunteer, you return a lost object, you, you help uh, in all kinds of things. You always you give up. You don't cut on a line. You speak politely. You always dress nice and neat. You're not sloppy. Now one person hates you. You behave nice to your neighbors. You don't take someone's parking. You don't uh, double park and then make someone wait 15 minutes for you and then you see a religious person stuck me in a parking. Meaning before you do what you want to do, first thing that you think about is What will happen if I will get caught and now everyone will use it for 20 years against Hashem? See what happened to that one? You see what happened to this one? Kiddush Hashem is all of a sudden you see on the news some religious man who found a bag with 80,000 shekel and he went and returned it. He found who lost it and he went and returned it. He bought a furniture and he was hidden inside, some cabinet. Mm-hmm. And he found, and they made a show in, with some black host, famous show, I don't know his name. And they brought that Hasid or litvish, whatever he was. And they said to him, did you ever think to keep the money? He found it in the furniture that he bought, used furniture. Someone hid it. A huge amount of money, like $80,000. And he said, no, it's not my money, how can I keep it? I looked right away to investigate who really put it deer and he found the owner and he gave it. And the whole world saw a Jew with a beard and a yarmulke. He did such thing. That's a very big kiddush Hashem. The, the reward for it is beyond words for kiddush Hashem. But the punishment for kiddush Hashem is beyond words. In the case are not if somebody ever asks you, what is the reason Moshe Rabbeinu did not enter Israel. Moshe and Aaron. What is the reason? 120 years they lived. Moshe served the Jewish nation 40 years like a servant. From morning to night. Demonstration, problem, rebelling. Lashonara, fought him, made up lies about him, calling him names, whatever you can think of. 40 years against the wicked liberal Erev Rav, Datan, Aviram, Korach, and the rest of them. And in the end, a scene of one minute caused him not to fulfill the dream of his life. What was it? One minute, Chilul Hashem. That's it. That's all. One minute, 40 years, he was a big tzaddik, Big tzaddik, taught Torah to the whole world. The Torah is named after him. He was perfect in his personality traits. Most perfect midot. Down to earth more than anyone in history. Did not consider himself anything. Servant of Hashem. Prophet. The biggest prophet in history. What you can say about Moshe from now until a million years from now. You won't finish. And one mistake of 60 seconds. Caused him not to enter Israel. What was it? Chilul Hashem. One minute, Chilul Hashem. When did Moshe do Chilul Hashem? The Chilul Hashem that Moshe did is different than Chilul Hashem that we do. We have some kind of a desire or bad traits and we go and act about our negative behaving and and it creates Chilul Hashem. Why did you do such thing? I was hungry. Why did you do such a thing? I, was, I had desire. Why did you do such a thing? He got me angry. I could not stop myself. But it was about me. Moshe, his entire act was for Hashem, for the sake of heaven. But he created Chilul Hashem by mistake. And for that he did not enter Israel. When Hashem said to Moshe, go speak to the rock. And water will come out. All the Erev Rav Reshaim, Datan, Aviram, all the other liberals, they all came and started to laugh. (laughs) Who do you think you're impressing? You're a shepherd. You know every rock here. You probably know this water behind this rock. You set it up. Let's see you giving us water from this rock. If you get us water from this rock... We are with you 100%. You won't hear another beep from us. That's it. No more opposition. Moshe was thinking, Hashem told me to speak to this rock. For Hashem it doesn't make any difference if it's this rock or this rock. Obviously it doesn't make any difference. Why shouldn't I speak to the other rock like this? I get rid of all these lefties. Look how much headache they give. They always fight everything I say. I'll speak to that rock. What's the big deal? Moshe said, no problem. This rock, this rock. For Hashem, it's all the same. He went to the other rock and he spoke to the rock. And no water came out. They waited for 10 seconds. Nothing happened. And they all started to laugh. <laughs> you see what a fake? Is? No, no. You follow him. This is your leader. This is G'dol Ador. You, you trust Moshe? We told you it's all fake. And then Moshe hit the rock. One drop came out. Then he hit it one more time. Boom! The Niagara Falls exploded. All together it took a minute that they laughed. That's it. They laughed because Moshe did something different than what Hashem told him. But he only did it for, for Hashem. Thinking, I'm going to get rid of these we- evil people. They're all going to be quiet, and there's not going to be arguments anymore about Hashem and about his messenger. And because of that one minute of Chilul Hashem, and Hashem say to Moshe and Aaron, because you did not sanctify my name in May Meriva with the water, you will not enter Israel. That's the reason. Moshe begged 515 prayers with crying and screaming to Hashem. 515 prayers. Not prayers like us. Go and see Rav Ades in Yerushalayim how we pray every day. Multiply it by a thousand, if it's possible. This is the prayers of Moshe Rabenu. The heaven shook. The angels were screaming to Hashem. It's shaking the whole world. We cannot block his prayers. Until Hashem forced Moshe to be quiet. He said to him, Rav Lach, do not add another word about this subject. You're not entering Israel. Rav Lach, you have enough. Moshe said, let me go to Israel one week. I want to keep the mitzvot that you can only keep in Israel. You cannot keep them in exile. Hashem said to Moshe, you have plenty of mitzvot, and anyway, the Jews that go to Israel, they will keep the mitzvot, and you are their teacher. You taught them the Torah, so every mitzvah they do go to your account anyway, because you did kiruv with them. You saved their souls. You taught them Torah. Everything they do goes to your account. So you are very, very wealthy. Don't worry. Rav Lach. Rav Lach means you have plenty. Don't worry about this mitzvah. They will come to you anyway. Moshe said, you know what? So make me a cow. Let them slaughter me. Let them eat my eat on Shulchan Shabbat. Also worth it no matter what he said, Hashem told him, stop, don't pray anymore. Why? From here we see that sometimes you pray and pray and pray for months and it looks like nothing happens. You cry, you beg, nothing happens. And after three months you pray, you're about to give up. He said, no, I'm not giving up. But three months you pray, nothing happened. Hashem did not hear you a bit even. It's only the same. Five hundred and fifteen times, five hundred and fifteen times. It's months, months, every day, three filot, Divide five hundred and fifteen divided by uh, by uh, three. It's it's hundred uh, and seventy something days. It's almost six months, almost six months of prayers, and nothing happens. Is still his prayers it's still not get accepted? So if he would pray one more time, he would have to enter Israel. That's when Hashem had to stop him. So we see that every prayer that you pray does something. Just like making a hole in a a rock, every time you bang on the hammer, you don't see any difference. It looks the same. Nothing is nothing happened. But after five thousand times, oh, there is a hole. Every time you hit, it looks like you did nothing. But after an hour that you're banging, oh, there's a little hole. And then another hour is a little bit deeper. And another hour, until you reach the treasure. Same thing over here. That's when Hashem told him enough. Why Hashem did not tell him enough by 300? Because he's enjoying his prayers. It's like this. When he came to 5.15, that means 5.16, he would do it. He would turn everything around. And Hashem had to stop him. But, why Aaron got punished? Aaron didn't do anything. He was only standing over there. He also did not enter Israel. Aaron, why? Because Hashem speaks in plural. Both of you did not sanctify me in Merivah. Aaron should have said, excuse me, Hashem, I mean, what did I do? I was just standing watching. you the older brother. You are the partner of Moshe to everything. You went together to Paro. You did some of the plagues. You are a leader. You're not just a standby a, 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 a viewer. When Moshe hit the rock for the first time, you should have told him, what are you doing? Hashem said to speak to the rock, not to hit you had enough time to stop him. After the second time, it's too late. Meaning, if you stand next to someone who is about to do Chilul Hashem and you did not stop it, you are fully guilty like him and get the same full punishment. So if you saw Shir Leyom HaShabbat in the first chapter that was written by Adam Arishon, Adam, Already told us what's going to happen in this world. No fool will know and no ignorant will understand that the wicked people popping like weeds everywhere. Popping everywhere wicked. All world is full of wicked people. Those who are extreme wicked, they're popping above everyone. They take control everywhere. They are in the headlines. To destroy them for eternity. What is the verse? The wicked people will take control everywhere, the whole world, for one reason. To destroy them for eternity. Without this, I could not destroy them for eternity. I must first pay them in this world for the few good things that they did, give them their dream, and then they have no claim. If I would not do it, they would come and say, I'm sorry, I did this and I did that. Where is one my reward? Then I would have to send them back to the world. Moments before I finish the world, I let them take control of everything changing babies, brainwash kids, making this world all fanatic, gays, garbage everywhere. Moments that they don't have one claim to save themselves. Think about it. What would they say? Someone who vote Democrats, He stands in front of Hashem. Hashem will show him all the evil things they do. Abortion, murdering babies, marrying men with men, destroying everything, changing now ideas, no no father and mother, making the world, Sodom and Gomorrah, after reading in the Torah, what happened to people that were less weaker than them? And they still did not learn the lesson. So what would they say? What, what can they say? Why, where was I? I don't exist. You want to redesign the world? Now you're going to have to deal with the consequences. So to finish Rabbotai, hopefully this Pesach will be it. If not this, it will be maybe later, but it will happen. Even though it's delayed, for sure he will come. And all of a sudden you're going to hear the siren. I want to remind you that a year ago, two years ago, five years ago, All over the world, all over the world, people reported voices of shofar from the sky. There's thousands of videos on YouTube, thousands, including Israel. Noise of shofar. You walk out in the street, you look up to the sky, and you hear a noise of shofar so loud in the entire city. I saw in my own eyes in news in Ukraine and in other countries. They go in, they're asking, what's this noise? Nobody knows. everybody looks, everybody film with their phone. Noises of shofar comes from heaven, from the Shaman. Ooh, like this, all over. Thousands of, thousands of people looking around. There's one video in Israel, one person standing by stairs filming, everybody speaks in Hebrew. What's going on here? The secular people, they're wondering, what is this? Nobody can fake such thing. The whole city, voice of shofar, for minutes, for minutes, blowing a shofar. You hear it all over the city in the middle of a weekday. Now, once, not twice, all over the world. You can go and check. Don't have to believe me. Go on YouTube and listen and watch. This was a shaking, a wake-up call. That's what's gonna happen. All of a sudden, the whole world will have this siren. Ooh. The geula begins. Then uh, the clean-up. Clean-up. Five billion people. Shh! In 12 minutes. That's what the gaum Vilna wrote. And then the third that will be left will have months of cleaning. Months of cleaning. Another one disappeared. Another one. Another one. Another one. And after all of that, Hashem, we will survive and all that, then the resurrection of the dead. All the biggest tzaddikim comes out. Every one of the books over here on the shelf: Rambam, Ramban, Ohr Hayim, Shulchan Aruch, Tur. Every one of them. All the tanaim in the Gemara. All of a sudden, you walk around, who are you? Rabbi Shimon bar Yochai, Rabbi Akiva, Rambam, Ramchal. Wow! Chafetzchaim, David Amelech. Imagine, Avraham Avinu. You know the people who run to some tzaddik that they see him on the street? Rabbi, Rabbi, selfie, selfie. I don't know when you see all these tzaddikim if you will dare to take out your iPhone. <laughs> it's going to be so, too embarrassing. I remember I went to Rav Ovadia Yosef with one of my ballet Chuva. He made Aliyah, he lived in Yerushalayim, got married. I told him when Ravovadia began to give me smacks, I wanted to film the whole thing. You <laughs> need connection to go inside with his assistant. Is, you know, I spoke across the street in Lev on Yeshiva, the yeshiva, yeshiva for Syrian boys in uh, Rehovah Kablan in Arnof. Across the street is the house of Rav Ovadia. We go with Min Minchader. Just when the moment arrived, he stood like this. I go, you have only 20 seconds. Froze. After all of that, I said, what's wrong? What, what happened to you? He said, he said to me, I was afraid to take out my iPhone. They'll kill me over here. There's a lot of important people behind. He was afraid to take a smartphone. Why someone will grab it from his hand and break it. That's what they do in Israel. It's a killer. Not 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 kosher phone. Say to him, an opportunity of a lifetime and you did not take it on video. That's what it is, Rabota. Imagine now, uh, David HaMelech with a say, uh, "Rab David, one second, one selfie. You know how many books of Tehilim I read? Thanks to you, I'm alive. Stand right here. Thanks to you, I'm here. Let's, let's remember this moment. He would look at this. What's this? He won't understand what's going on. Imagine this. You come to the Rambam. Rambam. Ah, what days it's gonna be! But to get to these days, rabbi, <laughs> oh. there is a long way. There's a journey that we must fix a lot more than what we can imagine, starting with the personality. midotav, ma'avirim lo kol Walk on your ego. Be down to earth. Be loyal. Be generous. You know how many people will not have a place this seder to be? More than ever before. A lot of uh, organizations who used to do Pesach, they don't do this year Because of the corona and what's going on. And those who do, it's so expensive that some of these people cannot afford. And a lot of people who used to have guests on Passover, they're afraid to bring guests. For two reasons. One, Corona. And second, it's three days in a row. It's too difficult to have a stranger guest in your house. You don't know who he is. What happens if it's a lunatic? And you sit three days in your house and make faces and speak all kinds of shtuyot. It happens sometimes. It's called in Ibruchatul basak. You know what it means, chatul basak? Yeah. A cat in a bag. You don't know what's inside. He's moving. You open it up, you see white cat, black cat, dangerous, small. You don't know what you're getting. Somebody shows up. Hi, I came from the website, uh, guest for Shabbat. In two minutes, he's in your table. I've been with one guy like this. Three days you're stuck with somebody like that now. What are you going to do? People are afraid. You can't bring to your wife just someone because you have uh, mercy on him. But on the other hand, you know that you will enjoy in drinking wine and eating matzah and sing. And some of the people you know sitting at home lonely, they never did Seder on their own. They don't even know how to do Seder. Lots of divorced women alone or divorced men or single people not everyone has family. You know, there's a lot of immigrants, Israelis that have no family here, all kinds, Russians, whatever, a lot of different Jews. They are here, these guys are students. They don't have where to be. And to invite them to come with the car and live in the middle of Shabbat and Yom Tov, it's also not allowed. It's a catch-22 this year. Very sad. And not to talk about the a lot of poor families. Remember, there's a big mitzvah of kimcha de pischa. I spoke about it last week. Some people took it to consideration. Some people ignore. Ignore. Kimcha de pischa is an obligation. It's a custom. It's a Jewish custom. Kimcha de pischa means flour for Passover. Meaning something to eat for matzot. Why? There are people who don't have money. It's very expensive. What do you think? I told you the the prices or everything. To do a Yom Tov for a large family here in New York thousands of dollars. Every time you visit the supermarket, 700, 800, and this is not talking about luxury here. We're talking just what you need. Matzot, wine, grape juice, little fish, chicken, eh, boom. And on Passover they double the prices. Oil, much more. This, much more. Everything costs more. No reason, but it is what it is. You can give, you make other give. There's still two days left. Soon it's the Chag. We have Tuesday, Wednesday, to still give Kimchad a I told people, those who listened to me, they emailed me. I sent them instructions how to send, and many of them did, but not enough. The amount of listeners, not even 1% of 1% of the amount of listeners on the lecture applied. Not 1% of 1%. If you had on the lecture 30,000 people on a YouTube page alone, how much is 1% from 30,000? 300. How much is 1% of 300? Huh? Three. That's about what it was. Three, four, maybe five. Now more than five that's a joke those who don't have, don't have like he said, make other gifts but those who have how can you how are you going to sit home with your nice suit and sing and enjoy and everybody dress nice your children, because you don't have money you have, you have money, you have millions no problem, your wife goes everything, deliver do you know how many poor people are out here? Some people want to buy tefillin, they put shekel by shekel for years to buy a nice mehudart spare of tefillin. One shekel, another shekel, two shekel, years. Finally, they have money to buy tefillin. People who got money from the government, they got to give myself from it. 10% from that alone, it could be $1,000. People who got thousands of dollars. Yes, you're right. Look, I'm not telling people what to do, but I'm just telling you what the books are saying. You must give kimchadepischa. Just like in Purim, everyone who opens his hand, you give him. Even children, you come, Purim, you don't ask questions. You don't investigate. He comes to you like this, you give him something. You don't ask him, where are you from? Mishomer Shabbat, you're not. No, Purim, no question asked. All yad, Pesach, Pesach, you have to make sure that all the poor people will have what? To eat on Yom Tov. Very good. There's a lot of wonderful blessings about it. That's not, there's no time. Time ran out. Tomorrow, I don't speak in a regular place in Brooklyn. Three, what? No. It's not 379. Check again. It's the Kafkazi Shul in Ocean Parkway, you're going to see, it's on my website, on events, you can see the address, I think it's 345 Ocean Parkway, <laughs> you're going to see it, it's close to Ditmas over there, the Kafkazi Shul, it's not going to be in a regular place, where we speak in Coney Island, only for tomorrow, we made it, huh? 37. 347? 347, not 379, 347, Baruch Hashem, I remember that, 347, Ocean Parkway, 8 p.m. The final lecture of the year. Nissanitzenuir mm-hmm. already. Baruch Hashem. Baruch Adonai l'olam. Amen. Amen. Rabbi Chanan Benakash. He says,